0: Good morning and happy Easter. It's a joy to be with you here as we open God's Word. I love Easter. I love it for a number of reasons. One, I like to pick on the men who come in wearing pink and various shades of pastel. There's a myth that I was told this morning that real men wear pink. We didn't say that in Wharton County, and so I'm not sure if it's true. But no, m- welcome to church this morning as we celebrate the risen King. Jesus. One of the reasons I love Easter is it is one of those fixed points on the calendar, something you look forward to every year. You know, your family will be back together and you'll celebrate with one another. And so it's always one of those things that we look forward to. Um, the last couple weeks and looking forward to Christmas, I've been singing one of the old hymns that I grew up with. We would have begun uh, the, the Easter service at the church where I was raised almost every year with Up From the Grave, He Arose with the mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. Hallelujah, Christ arose. And we would sing that, and so my kids are learning that. And it's always good to look back to these fixed points that are set in stone for us, that remind us of God's goodness, God's grace, and God's power. Because in the midst of a difficult and changing world, We need fixed points that we can look to. Something I learned a few years back uh, when I was working in enterprise sales for a telecommunications company, uh, we took a trip to Hawaii. One of those trips that uh, if you're a top performer, you get to go. Now, it was allegedly a free trip, and I still did the math, and it wasn't free. I think it costs a good bit to go on this free trip, Uh, but that's life when you travel with a child. And so... One of the things that happened is we got to go deep sea fishing, and they booked a number of events, and you could pick one. Uh, I'd grown up on the Gulf Coast, and so I had done a good bit of fishing, but it had always been relatively uh, close to shore. Truthfully, if I'm honest, I prefer uh, freshwater fishing on the side of a creek uh, with a worm and a bobber, because that's the way a lazy man can fish and just enjoy the day. Uh, But we went deep sea fishing off the coast of Hawaii, which was uh, interesting and beautiful and completely unproductive. Um, I would define deep-sea fishing off the coast of Hawaii when your company pays for it as a nice ride around for four hours looking at the sights of Hawaii and not catching any fish. I also learned another thing. Two, two important lessons. One was um, don't believe it when the company tells you there's no need to tip the guy. When you get on the boat with your friends, offer him several hundred dollars if you get on some fish, and he'll work harder for you. Uh, The second thing I learned is that when you're out on the waves like that, you want to find a fixed point on the horizon. And I learned that because I didn't do that, and about an hour and a half into our riding around on a boat expedition, I discovered it the hard way. See, the motion if you don't have a fixed point, it will throw you off. As kind of everything underneath you moves and sways, if you don't have something that grounds you, you'll begin to be disoriented. I think it's important because Easter proclaims that fixed point for the church. That event that stays in the forefront of our minds that grounds us. Grounds us as who we are and what our hope is in the midst of a world that is consistently shifting. And this morning, as we celebrate Easter, we'll also jump into the book of 1 Thessalonians together, which was, but will be what we go through this spring. In 1 Thessalonians, we'll find the need to be steadfast, the need to have a fixed point of our hope. In chapter 1, the Apostle Paul begins this letter to the church at Thessalonica with these words, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians. In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before your God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that the Scriptures point out our need for a steadfast hope something that we stick to and cling to, something that is our fixed point on the horizon in the midst of a world that's changing. Because I think the Scriptures recognize that there is a consistent shuffle and turnover in the world, and we, in our weakness and frailty, need a place to look back to that our hope is anchored and secured. We need to develop an unshakable hope because there are things in our world that will shake it. Even today, if we look around at the events of our world, there are reasons to lose hope. Our economy is shaky. You see that, people's 401ks are, are like riding a, a ride at the amusement park. It's up and down and all around, and lately more down than anything else. I was talking to some friends this week, and they're concerned because at work they know that there's layoffs coming, and they're waiting to hear which of their coworkers don't get to be their coworkers anymore. All of this for many of us driven by the fact that, that that black sludge that we pull out of the ground has diminished in value. And while much of the world rejoices when they go to the gas station and pay less than $2, those of us who live in Houston cringe when that happens. The economy is not what we would like it to be. It's not what it has been. Beyond that, when we think of, of the world we live in, it, it seems as if we're never safe anymore. I'm thankful that we live in Houston and public transit isn't even an option because when you see the events of our world and the attacks like we've seen in Belgium, it's easy to be afraid. It's easy to lose hope. If we look closer to home, our political environment is a circus, to say the best. It's an utter mess if we're honest. And we've got to have just a little bit of honest fear about the direction of our country. Beyond just these broad, kind of global, economic, security, and political issues, or very real personal issues, that make us question our hope, families deteriorating, just the course of life, you know, this week, uh, we spent hours at the hospital. My dad went through open heart surgery and that shakes you. There's reasons to not have hope. There's reasons that our hope will shake and the scriptures say uh, you have a steadfast hope in Christ. Th- this world shaking and all of its... Turmoil, all of the uncertainty and fear and anxiety that the economic, political, personal experiences you go through would cause to just kind of upend, the Scriptures say we have a steadfast hope in Christ. That's good news. See, our hope is always linked to the resurrection of Jesus. We don't, as Christians, have hope just in some form of blind optimism or some foolish escapism our hope is rooted in historical reality in fact as christians we believe and proclaim as historical fact that jesus died on the cross was buried and on the third day rose in power and glory we believe that with all of our heart it is what makes us christians and many people will give you a number of reasons why they believe that story not to be true in the end they all are wanting Every story to explain away the resurrection of Christ falls squarely in the realm of impossibility and the resurrection of Jesus stands the test of time as a miracle embraced and believed by millions of people across the world and across the generations. It's interesting to me That an event of such magnitude that is so abnormal and out of the range of what is naturally possible, so miraculous and grand in its scope has been assailed for thousands of years and yet continues to stand the test of time because we believe it to be true. We don't believe the resurrection as a great story that reminds us that there's always hope. We believe in the resurrection as a historical reality that communicates to us an unshakable hope. That Jesus died and rose again, that the earth shook when He rose. And in that fact, in that reality of our steadfast hope in Christ and His resurrection, there are three points in which the Scriptures anchor us. Three truths that it teaches us about God and our relationship to Him that I think if we get a hold of them will give us a steadfast hope in the midst of a shaking world. The hope of the resurrection. So if you're taking notes, there's three things I want you to learn today and we'll go into them in detail. The first is God is for us. Second is God is with us. And the third is that God is coming back for us. The resurrection of Jesus reminds us first that God is for us. Jesus died for our sin, expressing God's love for us. While we were sinners, he came to us, not waiting for us to clean ourselves up, but rather initiating a relationship with us. Though we were in opposition to him, he came, sent his only son to die in our place. That's a fixed point. If you ever wonder, does God love me? Does God care for me? Does God have a kind intention towards me? If the circumstances of life, as it shakes and spins, ever leads you to wonder, is God good? We look back to the story of Jesus' death on the cross, where God sent his only son to die in our place, and we confirm without a shadow of doubt that God is good to us. God is for us. I have five children. Our oldest two are boys, and we have two girls, and then our youngest, a three-year-old boy. I couldn't imagine any circumstance in which I would give one of them up to save any of you. Just being honest. And God, though we are in opposition to Him, sends His only Son to the cross for us. So when we say that God is for us, this isn't a theory, this isn't an idea, it's a fact. He sent His only Son to die in our place, and having died for us, He raised Him up, proclaiming that the sacrifice that He made, the payment that He made, was sufficient and acceptable. And that He had conquered death. In Romans chapter 8, the Scriptures reflect on this, Reality in verses 31 through 35. It says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to Condemn, Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I want you to hear what Paul is saying. He said, Jesus, who died and rose again, whoever intercedes for us is evidence that God is for us unquestionable evidence of God's love towards us. And he says, what will separate us from the love of God? Will hardship, difficulty, any of these things? In verse 37, the apostle would answer, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, angels nor rulers, nor things Present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, no. God loves us. Nothing can shake or change that. And the evidence and the hope of God's love and God being for us is rooted in the fact that Jesus died and rose again. But his death and resurrection is the standing undisputable evidence of God's love for us. And then he asks this powerful question if God is for us, who can be against us? In the midst of a world that's shaking, in the midst of a world that is in turmoil. The scriptures proclaim that. The resurrection is proof that God is for us. And then ask the question, who is it that comes against us? When we say that God is for us, we we affirm God's love for us. And we also rejoice in God's power and might that He's able to protect and defend and guard His people. That no matter what the world could throw at us, God is for us and God is great and mighty. We have hope in that. Beyond God being for us, the Scriptures will say that God is with us. That God's not just for us in some detached reality where He stands back and He is in our corner and He roots for us. That's not the experience. We just saw in Romans 8 the Scriptures saying that Jesus ever lives to intercede for us. He is consistently before the throne of God lifting us up, providing what we need, saying, Father, look, look, They're in need in this way. Would you bless them through the Spirit so that they'll be strengthened and empowered? Jesus is consistently observant and at work on our behalf. Going up just a few paragraphs still in chapter 8 and verse 11. We read these words, that the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Couple amazing realities in that simple text is that the very Spirit of God has been sent to indwell those who believe. We are not alone. Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to the Father, and when he did, he sent his Spirit who indwells and empowers all who believe in his name. He says it's not just that he's with you in, in some sense of companionship to keep you company, he's with you to empower you, to give you victory. The same Jesus that rose from the graves and his spirit and the spirit that raised him up is now at work in you if you believe. So God is with us and he's with us and he's for us and he's come in might and power and the power of the resurrection dwelling in us through the spirit. God is for us. God is with us. And that gives us hope for today. That gives us hope for every day. In a moment, we'll talk about this kind of hope that's out there in our expectation of what Jesus will do when he comes for us. But we have in immediacy, in, in the distress of the day in front of us, hope. See, it's one thing to proclaim a, a hope that's distant in future and say it's going to be good if you can just hold on. But the Scriptures point out to us that in every day and in every circumstance we have Hope, because God is for us, He will not deny His children good things, not when they're ready to receive them. Because God is with us, He empowers and strengthens us to walk through whatever hardship and difficulty we face. So we have hope to come, yes, and that's good news, but we have hope today. Because Jesus rose from the grave. Because God is for us, and God is with us in the power of the resurrection. But beyond that, we have a lasting and eternal hope of Christ's coming and returning for us. 1 Thessalonians really targets this idea as you go through the text. In chapter 3, verse 13, the Scriptures remind us. Actually, so go to second. 1 oh yeah, Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. But we... Do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. I want you to let that sink in. You'll see that what it's about to come is rooted in the reality that Jesus died and rose again. And Paul's going to say, since Jesus died and rose again let's let's make that a fixed point since that is true we believe that all who have trusted in him though they die will be resurrected and by the way that's all bound up in the experience of Jesus coming back for us Paul says I don't want you to be uninformed I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to be people who go through grief without hope. I want you to be people who understand that because Jesus died and rose again, there is a resurrection to come for all who believe in him. Evan read, as we began, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which proclaims the reality of the resurrection, and Jesus as a pattern for our resurrection. As the first among many in the scriptures say that we were sown perishable, be raised imperishable. What was sown in weakness will be raised imperishable in honor and that that's a reality not just in the life of Jesus and his death and resurrection but an impending reality for everyone who believes in him. The resurrection has become the pattern of what we hope for and this is incredibly important for us as Christians that we can approach everything even death even death with a certainty that that is not the end. The scriptures say that those who seek the Lord, even though he dies, he lives. Jesus put death in its grave when he rose that first Easter. And now we wait for his return, when all of those who love the Lord will be raised again, even though they have died. That's the pattern. It points to the reality that He's coming for us. And so we have these fixed points with the resurrection of of things that it proves for us that God is for us. God is with us and He's coming back for us. If we're going to begin to make this real and change the way we live, there's a few ways that we can pursue that. You see, if you want Easter to be a time that you wear some nice clothes and go to church and enjoy a, a day with your family, then it can be that. But if you want it to be more than that, if you want it to be a fixed point that gives you a steadfast hope, that changes your perspective on every element of life, that gives you hope and reason for rejoicing and celebrating even the darkest circumstances, there's a few things you can do. The first I would tell you is you need to know your hope and become well acquainted with the truth. God has promised great things to his people, and we can't lean on promises that we're unaware of. When we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, the reality is the scriptures say that that the way Jesus was raised is the same way all of the dead who believe in him will be raised. Now, this is important. It's important because many of us, it's a hope that we don't think about. Most of us, as we face the possibility of death or losing a loved one we we think about uh dying and going to heaven in a spiritual sense so we're going to die this body is going to be laid in a grave and then my spirit whatever immaterial aspect of me is there soul spirit whatever you want to call it it's going to go into the presence of god now that's true the bible teaches that but that's an intermediate state. That's a, a waiting time until Jesus returns and, and then that unnatural separation between spirit and body is corrected when we are physically raised. And that's the hope that we have in Christ. And we cling to that. We say, okay, there, there is a grace from God that transcends even the grave. But, but in that state of the body in the grave and the spirit with the Lord, death is still in some sense victorious until death is defeated and the body is raised. And so we have this resurrection of Jesus that is marvelous and amazing. And it points to reality of heaven for the believer that is not just some spiritual sense where we're hanging out on a cloud with the harp for ages, but rather a real physical experience, understanding God, knowing Him, relating to one another, without sin being a part of our world. A completely renewed and restored creation, a a, a marvelous hope for heaven. Sometimes I think we struggle, struggle to walk faithfully with the Lord Jesus because our hope is too small. Because we view heaven as okay and really good in comparison to hell, but not great in comparison to today. The resurrection points out a, a future state for all who believe in Jesus that is mighty and powerful. And if we're going to cling to these promises in moments of struggle, and moments of turmoil, we've got to be aware and familiar with them. So dig into the Scriptures. Dig into them personally, dig into them corporately in worship, join in a small group, and begin to saturate your life with the Word of God so that when the day of struggle comes, you're aware of God's good promises to you. You can cling to them. Beyond simply knowing our hope, we need to remind ourselves of our hope. Remind ourselves, because this world can cloud our view of God's goodness the difficulties of the moment, struggles whether it's health-wise or financial or family, whether it's concern about the future, those things can get in the way of us clearly seeing the hope that we have in Jesus. So become aware of it and then remind yourself over and over again. Part of that is surrounding yourself with people who will remind you. People who will see the anxiety taking hold and begin to share the truth of God with you to pull you back so that you can have joy in the moment, even in the midst of hardship. Remember your hope. And third, I would challenge you with this, is to live out your hope. The resurrection of Jesus looks forward to a day when He will return and establish His kingdom. A kingdom of perfect righteousness and justice. And as people who long to see that, who long to live in that world, we have an opportunity today incrementally to pursue it. The thing that we long for, that we look forward to, should drive us into action. We should be people of the kingdom. And so when we hear of a kingdom where there is no more oppression, we should seek to be people who end oppression. When we hear of a kingdom where no one is with lack and without food, we should seek to be part of the solution in our world today. When we hear of a kingdom where God will wipe the tear from every eye and bring comfort to the morning. We should seek to be people who bring comfort and peace. If you want that hope of the resurrection to be a constant fixed point for you, the reminder of the reality that God is for us, God is with us, and He is coming Back for us. Remember these things. Know your hope and become acquainted with the words of God. Remind yourself of your hope and surround yourself with people who will and commit to live it out and to pursue the thing that you long for God to do. And when you do those things, you'll find that that your life becomes wrapped up in what is to come and you have joy and hope for the moment, even in difficult circumstances. Because your hope cannot be stolen because it is fixed and it is set upon Jesus and the simple reality that he died for our sins and rose again. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your son Jesus rose from the grave with power over Satan, sin, and death. We thank you that in your great grace to us, you've chosen to love us, though we were far from you, that you sent your son to die in our place for our sin, and that his payment was acceptable and you raised him to new life. Father, I pray that you would never let us stray from that hope, that you would never let the story of Easter become old to us and one that is just part of our family heritage and tradition and something we do in the spring but will become a fixed point that we look to that reorients everything and gives us hope that is steadfast in the midst of a world that is changing. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.